from day 14, a renovation of the heart. We must simply lose our lives. Those ruined lives about which most people complain so much about anyway. Those who have found their life shall lose it, Jesus said, while those who have lost their life for my sake shall find it. Our survival cannot be the ultimate point of reference in our world. We must not treat ourselves as God. This selfless life enables us to do for the first time what we want to do. Be truthful, transparent, helpful, and sacrificially loving with joy. Our lives are then caught up in God's life. A way of life and peace because we live for God. Our survival cannot be the ultimate point of reference in our world. Read this somewhere along the way. It says, before we come to Christ, no one is expendable. After we come to Christ, everyone is expendable. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to land today. It'll be Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin. But I want to drop back and give you a little glimpse of what happened, why they're there. Acts 3 is one of my favorite chapters to preach from. Those who know me, those who've been on mission trips with me, have heard this multiple times because I carry this little Bible with me when I go on the, in the mission field or wherever it is, been, you know, whether it's Arkansas all the way up to Armenia or Australia or, or, or Mexico, wherever. I had been a lot of countries, but been a few. But one of the things you know if you're going on a mission trip and you are the pastor, you have to have a sermon ready. Because, I mean, they may ask you right then and there. Pastor, would you just give us a sermon? Happened to be in Armenia. I mean, just that we're remodeling this, this we're not remodeling, building back up, water, building this church. And so we had a lunch. And, I mean, I'm working. I'm, you were putting a roof on the place. We're doing different things, mixing concrete, doing different things. But I knew, bring this with you. We're going to have lunch, and then all these people show up. And they turn to me and go, Pastor Kurt, would you share a message with us? You bet I would. I was ready. I'm not always ready for things, but I know well enough to do that. And one of the tough parts in other countries Many times you have to have a translator, so you've got to keep it short enough. And sometimes some of you think you need a translator because I'm from South Arkansas, but that's not acceptable. Okay, it's not going to work. The reason I love this passage of Scripture, this passage of scripture out of Acts chapter 3, verse 1, is the way the NIV does it is called one day. Just one ordinary day. You're going to the temple, Peter and John. They're just going to the temple like, any, like they would any other, just one day. 
This man had been brought there, been crippled since birth. They'd walked by him who knows how many times. We don't know the other conversation. We don't have the context of what had happened. But they said he had been brought there every day. He had been born that way. He's 40 years old. But on this day, this one day, he asked for alms to Peter and John. There's a lot to this story. Of course, like I said, I can preach definitely a sermon on it. I'm going to brief it right here so you'll know where we're going today. First, Peter says to him, look at us. Look at me. Gets his attention. Everything else needs to be gone. The silver and gold I do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. This man had grabbed how many hands? He's 40 years old. How many hands had he grabbed up to this point? Who knows? But this one day, and this one man or two men, but this one day he grabs Peter's hand and does what? He gets up and he walks. Just one day, ordinary day, in his going, Peter continues to talk. Of course, if you want to read it, you can on your own, but obviously he's very, he's accusing a lot of people of who we've, you've crucified, the one you've waited for for centuries. But thankfully, God has raised him from the dead. He's resurrected. We're proof of that. And that's where we pick the story up. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read 21 verses here, or 22 verses, excuse me. It's a little more than I normally do, but, but hopefully you'll hang in there with me and uh, give you context to what we're doing here. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. We don't know if that's 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and 2,000 that day. I don't know what that is, but anyway, people came to Christ that day. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown a man who was lame and are being asked how was he healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven to given to mankind for which he must be saved, or which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. I'll come back to that. <laughs> but, since that. but since they could see the man who had healed 
they'd been healed standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and, were con- and, and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this from being spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name, in this name. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help. What if this is your way of life? We cannot help but talk about and speak about what we have seen and what we've heard and what's happened in our lives. We can't help it. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man was miraculously healed, who was miraculously healed was 40 years old. So what's the great reward for Peter and John helping a man who had been crippled 40 years walk? A night in jail. (laughs) Brought before the high council. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, really kind of like, I don't know if it's like Republicans and Democrats, but in that sense. But they were that, and they had different theological bents. Uh, one was more educated and wealthy, and so they had different ways, but they were, the, they were the high council that Peter and John were brought before. And one of the biggest things was that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So the very thing that they're going out there preaching is really an affront to them. Not just the fact that where did you, because they're asking them, we're going to talk about it. Where did you get your power? Whose name did you do this in? But they asked the question that you probably shouldn't have asked, right? By what power and what name did you do this? A good friend of mine years ago came to know him when I was in Texarkana. And he was a former biker, methamphetamine trafficker, uh, big-time drug dealer for years and years and years. Ended up getting busted. He owned a a mountain in central Arkansas Arkansas called Billy Goat Mountain. And that's where they finally, the feds finally got him, arrested him. He was was a crazy biker, all kinds of different stuff. He, He told me at times he used to shoot meth. He said, shoot so much that the biggest thrill he had was to hear his heart stop just so he could get that thrill. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you know all that. Big old guy, tats, all that. They arrested him. They put him in, I think, maybe Pulaski County Jail. I'm not sure, but somewhere in the central Arkansas area. He gets put in jail, and someone had left Corey Ten Boone's book, The Hiding Place. He looks at it. He's raging at this point. He's, he's, he's just, I mean, there's evil all in him, I guess, in some ways. But he sees a swastika on the cover. He goes, this book's about hate. So he started reading it. He gave his life to the Lord reading The Hiding Place. And that jail cell changed his life. Flipped it upside down.
Time goes on, continues to grow in his faith. He ends up becoming a Nazarene evangelist <laughs> of all things. Found out about him. He was doing ministry going into high schools, specifically going to junior high school, but specifically high schools, public high schools. So we had him come to Texarkana, and we had him in different public high schools and different things, and we brought him out here back around 2000, 2001. But what he would do is he would walk in in his, in his biker stuff, all the tats showing, and his, his leather vest and all that, and he would come in in his shackles, shackles on his feet, shackles on his hands, the belt around him. He would walk in, and he would give his talk. I mean, you listened. There almost was nobody looking. Back then, we didn't have phone. You couldn't have your phone in there anyway, so I don't know what they do today. But I'm just saying, there was nobody dozing or anything. And he's telling this powerful story about, about his life and bad choices and, you know, lack of freedom. But he would say in this public school, he'd say, but I had this friend who helped me. And he probably said this friend probably 20 times in his talk. And towards the end of it, they would unshackle him. They would do this. He'd go through this whole deal about how he was set free and all this. And so he'd do Q&A. And every time, I was with him. He says it happens every time. Some student would ask, who's this friend you keep talking about? And he would say, I'm so glad you asked. His name is Jesus Christ. He changed my life. Because once the student asked, at that point, at those years, I don't know what it is today, he could then share his faith. By whose name and whose power? Oh, you shouldn't ask that question. Because <laughs> now you're going to get it. Power, though, right? Isn't power always the issue? doesn't seem to be. Yeah, money, education, authority. But somehow or another, it seems like when we have power and it's not led by the Lord and it's got God-driven, it's more about division than it is unity. It's more about how do I keep my power than how do I best serve those who I have authority over. It's not a new thing today, folks. (laughs) It's always been that way. Because when you have the authority, unbelievable responsibility comes with that, right? For those you have authority over. Its intent is not given to you, so now you can figure out how to keep it. You're to be a channel to serve and to help those who you have authority over. That's parenting. That's, that's all kinds of different ways. The only power, though, what's funny here is the only power and the authority the Sanhedrin has was because Rome allowed it. And the only way they could stay in power is how? Keep the peace. If you want to stay in your position from Rome, 
You've got to keep your people oppressed. You keep them under control. And what did Jesus come along and do? <laughs> yeah, there was nothing. I was coming, we talked about Paul. Sometimes. I've read this before about Paul. There seemed to be a riot show up wherever Paul was. The riot didn't happen until Paul showed up, okay? So, so it's kind of funny. Jesus, there weren't riots happening and he showed up. No, he showed up and things started happening. Well, that was the issue, if, if nothing else. They weren't concerned that somehow or another they were missing the one they had been looking for for centuries. That's not what they were thinking about. How do we keep our power? I mean, Caiaphas said in John, I think it's John 11, they looked at Jesus with the thought, isn't it better for one man to die than the whole nation perish? Peter and John, where did they end up? First night, maybe the only night at that point. In jail. But I wonder if they remember Jesus' words, and I don't have it on the screen, I don't think, in Mark, Mark 13, Jesus told the disciples, whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is you not, for is it not you speaking, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a moment where you were not prepared for it? You didn't know you were going to step into that moment. But in that moment, somehow or another, the Holy Spirit gave you words to say that you would have never thought of otherwise? But they're brought before the high court. Unschooled. Ordinary men. Standing in front of basically, I guess in some ways we could say in context, the Supreme Court. And boldly accuse them, again, of killing the author of life. Because if they had committed a crime by proclaiming Jesus was resurrected, they not only pled guilty, they did it again right in front of them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're not just only guilty. We're going to double down on that guilt thing. I'm going to accuse you right now. You killed Jesus. God raised him. That's all I got to tell you. But isn't Jesus the great equalizer? I mean, these guys had no power. Unschooled, ordinary men, again. But somehow, some way, Jesus equalized that power. Actually, maybe went past that. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, dunamis power. You shall receive dynamite power. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. All the authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, so you go. So these guys are sitting there with power and authority these other guys don't understand. So they're told not to speak any longer. They said, okay, can you imagine the, 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 
conferring, I think it was this, they go back and they start, okay, guys, what are we going to do these guys? We know it's right. We know that he's healed. We can't help but see it. Oh, let's just go tell them not to talk about it anymore. Yeah, you wish. What does Peter say in verse 19? Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Now, that's a power statement there, no doubt. <laughs> but the thing the disciples knew at this point, that the real power didn't lay in that council. The real power didn't lay in Rome. The real power doesn't lay in the politicians or the lobbyist or Washington, D.C. They got it. And of all things, you can walk in it. To walk in step with it. Because when you reach a point, when you realize the power and authority you walk in has no rival because the God you serve has no rival... You begin to act different. You begin to live different. And what's so awesome about this and what makes it different about true Christianity is we do not use that power to lord it over others or intimidate them or manipulate them. We use that power to serve them. True Christianity uses power to make others better, to believe in people when they don't believe in themselves. To see what only Christ can see. Maybe we don't even see it, but we know that Christ saw something in us before we could see it in ourselves, so we believe that's for everybody. We pray for healing. We pray for those kind of things because we believe God can. By what power? But by what name? You know, I've run into, and so has our family along the way, different incidents. I've run into famous people. You've probably done that too. I've told you about me getting to see Albert Pujols over at uh, True Food three or four weeks, or three, four months ago, excuse me. You know, one of my all-time favorite uh, players ran him down in the parking lot. I think freaked him out a little bit, but that's okay. No, but I, I didn't. Just kidding. And you go to St. Louis, where I, my favorite team, you know, Ozzy, is only all you, you got to say. <laughs> but we look at Shaq or LeBron or Gaga or before Kobe. Or it's in Scripture, or it's in this time here, the name said something about the person. It said something about the character, what their intent, what, what, what was that? Today, the name is really not about the character. It's about the brand. And whatever brand you can create around that, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, I mean, you say names and people go, okay, I know what that is. I know what that... But this name meant something. It wasn't just a brand. It was the very core of who he was. And what's... It's troubling, I would guess, for the Sanhedrin is that they're not dealing in a situation here where 
all of a sudden they're bringing up somebody like we're 2,000 years past the crucifixion and the resurrection. They're dealing with somebody who was flipping tables just a few months ago in their city. Okay, healing somebody in their city, preaching in their city. So they're not talking about somebody that's hundreds of years ago that we can kind of, no, we're talking about somebody that's just like right there. So for them, trying to process this out was extremely difficult. And I love the way that Peter answers them. By what name? And what I, what I like about it is that Peter, I think, the way he starts it, he says it in a way which I think is a great, again, this is the way it's recorded, it's a great way for all of us, even when we're put in situations where we know we've got the answer and somebody else doesn't, but they've got even power or they may even have, you just have respect for them because they're older or you, whatever it is, at least Peter did this. Treats them with respect, with some type of level of respect. Rulers and elders of the people. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then he gets a little sideways here. Whom you crucified. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you today. What he's saying is, we, not you, are on God's side. Exhibit A. See this man standing here? You walk by him every day. And your religion and your power and your authority could do nothing for this man. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I grabbed his hand and he walked. And by the way, Salvation is found in no one else either. <laughs> you would think the Sanhedrin would be going, and somewhere, Nicodemus, we think, you know, the, somewhere going, yes, finally. And I would guess the Sanhedrin realized they were facing a force. They could not beat, but did not want to join. Now think about that. It's a bad place to be. When you see the truth, and you do not want to accept it, because of how it will change your life. I'm with you on it. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. <laughs> that's, the way, I mean, that's the right way to say it. But you and I, spirit comes. Begins to stir. Begins to chip away. Begins to renovate without your request. It looks different in every life. That's the reason why I can't just tell you, this is what I did, you need to go, I don't know. But when you realize that the power of the Spirit is moving in you, 
not to go do something. Sometime, just be still and let me do my work. Be still long enough to let me shine that light that I need you to see. Be still. Again, I'm probably the worst one to be given advice on that. One of them. I've said to people before, I can be lazy, but I just can't be still. Now think about that. I know how to be lazy. But to be still and know. Not to be lazy and escape responsibility or escape reality, but be still. They let the men go, warn them. Don't be doing this. Acts 5, 38, 39, they get them again and bring them in. They flog them again. They send them out again here. You know, but I, I, it's, uh, Gamaliel says, I advise you, he's talking to the council. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose and activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Personalize that. Mentioned last week. When you know God is up to renovation, and you realize it's Him, it's not the enemy. Join Him as soon as you can. Probably one of the hardest parts, I think, for any of us, again, confession, join him without conditions. Because for Peter and John, as I preached many weeks ago, John 21, Peter had the whole concept of dying on across someday over his head between 30 and 40 years. I mean, think about that. Three to four decades later is when that all happened. One of the things these men had that I think, and I've heard, I don't think I have the quote up there either. I apologize for that, but you short enough. It's from Mark Batterson from Circle Maker. Talking about the favor of God and man. He said, God's favor enables you to stand before those who would naturally stand in opposition to you, but they supernaturally step aside or stand behind you. What's so awesome about Christianity and Christ's coming 
is that you don't have to be rich or influential necessarily to represent the name of Jesus Christ in the world. You don't have to have a plaque or, or letters behind it. What you have to have, though, you need to be willing to be used of God. And willing to take risk, to be vulnerable, and to operate in his power and his name and not your power and your name. Because one of the things we like to do is protect our name. And I think there's a lot to that, and I'm not knocking that in itself. But our survival, our survival cannot be the ultimate point of reference in our world. Verses 29 and 31, I think we may have those still up there by themselves. Love this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Praying for boldness and not for relief from persecution. Because they're going back there because you can read in chapter 5. They're going back. They're going back many times. What's amazing as I read scripture and as Paul included and the other disciples, Peter and John obviously deserted Jesus. And they ran. Yeah, Peter tried to get where he could see, and yeah, I got a cute, you know, he got called out on it. But here's the deal: it's what we know about them now. That they no longer ran from danger. They now accepted it as part of the calling. For all Peter knew and eventually would know, he was facing a cross that even Jesus couldn't escape. And I do struggle with it because we live in the Western culture. And I do sometimes want safety for myself and for our family. But I'm not sure that's what Scripture bears out. Matter of fact, as I read this thing, most of the time it doesn't. It's not a popular form of Christianity in that sense. And we should never be a self-made martyr. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to go out and try to figure out a way. What I am saying is this. Our survival cannot be the ultimate point of reference in our world. Sanhedrin had the authority, education, and money. All things that you and I would, even as Christians, go, I I like that. But who won? You know who won. 
And I think of Epitaph. Of course, I've had students do this over the years, write their own obituaries and a lot of things we've done with that. One of my favorites is Acts 13, 36. David served God's purpose in his own generation and he died. We all know people who were unbelievable followers of Jesus Christ that died way younger than we thought for different reasons. What about this epitaph? They took note that this man had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that she's been with Jesus. They took note that something's different. They took note where they do ask the ultimate question, what does it, by what name or what happened to you? Why are you like this? I'm so glad you asked. Because my life is unexplainable apart from Jesus Christ. I can't explain it any other way except that. Everything comes back to him. I'm not perfect. You're going to see me. I have not driven a straight line since I've been saved. I've gotten off over here sometimes and over there sometimes. But I can tell you, at the end of the day... That is the plumb, that is the central point, that is the turning point. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone. A life unexplainable apart from Him. But if your ultimate goal is your survival, again, I'm with you, friend. I know what that's like to struggle with that. And the best I can understand, even from Willard's reading or writing, it makes us an idol. Nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. Take care of yourself. Do right things. Do, this is a temple. Take care of yourself. Do right things. But if we're following Christ, we will be asked to give up our name for his name. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you that. Just sign him. Where, where are you guys? You're still here? No. <laughs> I don't know if you're still here or not. I went alone. Can we close with that song, I Will Be Still? I know there are times in the personalities and the position of where people are walking in their faith or in this room that God has to say, you need to get moving. <laughs> it's time to get moving. We're burning daylight. It's, it's, it's time. But so often, I'd say daily, but so often, maybe an extended period of time. I believe God whispers, be still. And know that I am God. Pray for us. We're going to sing. And again, as always, these altars. A place to come and just 
really just lay things down the way I always think of it, to consecrate. Sometimes it's a turning point. You can do it at your home. You can do it next to your bed. You can do it in your backyard. I get that, and I'm not saying that is wrong because I do it myself. But sometimes these are good places certain moments to do that. Lord, we come before you today knowing that imperfect people can look to a perfect God. And first, maybe just ask, Lord, forgive us where we've missed it. Forgive us where we've put ourselves as an idol or something else. Please forgive us. Lord, turn, turn us away. Give us a new way of thinking. Lord, to help our minds capture every thought into your obedience. But Lord, maybe just this day, it's time just to be still. Not coming to you for help even though we do that for sure but coming because of who you are and just sitting and resting Lord your word says that you make us lie down green pastors Lord we think about that that make sometimes we just things will make us get there help us Lord to work with you not against you. We want to be found there. Help us now, Lord. To be different this day. This one ordinary day that we will never be the same.